Well, hello, my name is Brad Jacks, one of the pastors here, and we're going to do a four-week series on how to throw a great bacon party. Um, first, you go to Schmidt's and you get there. Uh, it is good to have you. We are uh, starting a new series today about relationships, and uh, we are going to get really practical because the beauty of Scripture is there's places in Scripture where it is just profoundly practical about how we live out our faith. We're going to be in Ephesians 4 the next four weeks. I'm going to talk sort of big picture about communication this week. Chris next week is going to talk about the type of language that we use as we interact with each other. And then the last two weeks, I'm going to be talking about anger and forgiveness, two really easy relational things to talk about. But this morning we kick it off with communication. And, uh, Let's just say if you are new here, if you're a guest, uh, we are not people pretending like we have it all together. We are on a journey of trying to figure out what this life with Christ is all about. And communication is one of those areas that is a very, very big deal. Sherry Carter Scott gave this great quote on communication that I, I absolutely love. She said, without good communication, a relationship is merely a hollow vessel carrying you along a frustrating journey fraught with perils of confusion, projection, and misunderstanding. Isn't that good? And that's, that's the whole thing. I, I think when we talk about communication, if we look at some of our worst moments in our lives, they probably revolve around poor communication issues that went on. Um, you think about some of the times where, where we, we've had the, those relational situations that went so sideways and it often was this that we or someone else said the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time and if you were a guy it happened in your marriage and you didn't even know it it's part of like our brokenness is sometimes when we're communicating poorly we don't even know where that comes from and it comes across in a lot of different ways it's yelling it's overgeneralizing it's holding it in it's passive aggressiveness, it's triangulation, it's anger that comes out sideways. It's keeping someone's past over their head. It's holding on to that thing that will help make you powerful in the relationship. It was interesting, we spent the uh, majority of the day yesterday at the softball fields right down the road for Genesis's state softball tournament. And I think every poor communication issue that could happen, we saw, and it was often us, you know, you see all of these issues coming up between parents, amongst parents, between parents and the aunts, between parents and the coach, between coach and the players. And you see it and it's this glaring example of how broken that we can be in our relationships. The reason this matters, the reason we do a series like this and we will on a fairly consistent basis is we all live in relational worlds. You have friends, you have siblings, you have a spouse, you have coworkers, you have neighbors. We live in relational worlds. Some of our relationships are pretty good. Some of them we look at, we experience, and they feel right and they feel good. Other relationships that we're living in are pretty broken. That goes for all of us in here. This is a journey. We have relational world, and it represents often the beauty and brokenness of all that we see, see around us. We're going to be in Ephesians, and, and what I love about Ephesians, it's the first book I ever preached through as a young pastor about 20 years ago. What I love about Ephesians is the first three chapters are deep theology. 
They are all about salvation and grace, and they use words that are big and profound. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, it's one long run-on sentence. If you're a grammar teacher, English teacher, we apologize. The Apostle Paul was inspired, and he can do that stuff. And uh, it's just, it's deep, deep stuff. But the beauty of it is, it's about our relationship with God. Paul sort of sums it up in chapter 2 and he says it's for by grace are you saved through faith. If you are here wondering what is at the center of what we're about, it is a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can't do on our own, but God did something for us. It's by his grace that we are saved, not of ourselves. But it's intriguing. You go on a little further in chapter 2, and Paul says the cross not only makes us right with God, it also begins to make us right with each other. So the point being, if we are really being made right in our relationship with God, our relational world in which we live in the here and now in our actual everyday life will begin to look differently. And that's why the Apostle Paul in the second three chapters of Ephesians Ephesians gets really, really down to earth. Here's what your life should live. If you profess faith in Christ, if Jesus has saved you, here's what your world is going to look like. You're going to relate to people around you differently. He talks about marriage. He talks about relationships among coworkers. He talks about parent-child relationships. Paul believes that if our faith is true and real, our relationships will begin to look very different. And that brings us to Ephesians 4. If you have your Bibles, chapter 4. If not, it's going to be on the screen behind me. And I'm going to read a larger passage because I want us to get the context. But we're just going to sit with one little phrase this morning. And probably the most practical sermon you've heard me give since I, I've been here. Before we do that, let's pray. God, sometimes these are the most challenging sermons. Um, it's about what we know. It's about a changed heart, God. But it also says, if that is true, then you change lives. You change marriages. You change homes. You change neighborhoods. Anywhere where people are relating who name you as Lord and Savior, things begin to happen. Your beauty is reflected. So Lord, I pray that you would breathe life into our relationships this morning. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Verse 14 of chapter 4 says this. Then we will no longer be immature like children. Think first century, these are all brand new churches. They've just started up. Paul is pouring into them. Some of them have come from the Roman Empire. Some are Jews who are now naming Jesus as king and forgiver. But they're all new into this reality. So Paul says, then you will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to tick a, tr trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. But here's what's going to happen. Verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth. And that word truth, we'll come to it a little bit later in this passage. That word truth, at the center of what it is about is Jesus Christ. In all that Jesus embodies. That's the, that, that is the most important thing. Who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in the lives of this community. That is the definition of truth. So they begin to speak the truth. This new reality of life in Jesus Christ that is changing them. That is changing them as community. They begin to speak the truth 
in love. That's the phrase that we're going to come back to. And then he says, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. You need to understand a very important truth from God's word. And it's this. God loves you exactly the way you are. If you are here for the first time, God loves you, period. Amen? But here's the beauty. God loves you exactly how you are, but God also cares that you grow up. It's like a parent and a child. It would be poor parenting if you left your child at a certain age level of maturity. And that's what Paul is saying here. God loves you. God has died for your sins. God wants to have a relationship with you. But God cares that your life begins to reflect a different reality that Jesus is king of your life. So Paul goes on in verse 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Helps the others grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. A great verse tying back to what Paul had just been saying about apostles and prophets and teachers. That God has equipped the body to do ministry together so that we can be a blessing to the world out there. Verse 17. With the Lord's authority I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles. Gentiles just simply means in a broad stroke that it is people who are choosing life apart from God. So live no longer as the Gentiles, those who are actively choosing life apart from God, for they are hopelessly confused, verse 18, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Paul is simply describing anybody in here, out there, whatever it is, that chooses life apart from God, that chooses to be their own king. That is, in essence, the life that you end up with. But Paul says this about this community. That isn't what you learned about Christ. It's intriguing. There's, there's a number of times that we're seeing in this text that there is something about knowing God, knowing what truth is, knowing that relationship with Jesus Christ. But he's going to make it very, very poignantly true that it's not just up here. It has to be practiced into how we do life. How we live relationships. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. A theme throughout Paul's writings that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is this ongoing journey. Remember, God loves you how you are. God wants you to be the person he created you to be, though. So there's this ongoing journey where we're putting off the broken ways in which we do life and relationship, and we're putting on new ways. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We put off the old, we put on the new. We put off the old, we put on the new. And he gets really practical again in verse 25. So, stop telling lies. Let's tell our neighbor the truth for we are all part of the same body. I want to sit with that, that, that little, little sentence. Speak the truth in love. If you've grown up in the church, you have used that probably in a number of different ways. You're going to go confront somebody. So you tell, you tell a brother or sister in Christ, I'm going to go speak the truth and love to them. Probably hearing a lot more on the truth and love, but I'm going to go speak a little truth to them. 
You know, and we, we often say that if we're going to talk about some hard doctrine or some hard truth, that we've got to balance truth and love. We use this language often, and it's very important. And what I want to do is I want to break it down in what I hope is a painfully practical way. Because if we start to get this in our hearts and we practice it relationally, God will do something in your relational world that will consistently point to the fact that you are following Jesus Christ. So here's the first word. Speak. Speak. Think about it. This, it's about communication. That, that There's something in us that is hardwired for language. The last three weeks, if you haven't been around, we did a little, little series called Echo. And we were in Genesis 1 and John 1 a number of different times. But it's intriguing. In Genesis 1, when God creates, how does it happen? Spoken. In John 1, the word becomes flesh. I think there is this hardwiring in us that reflects the beauty of who God is. That we're made for communication. We're made for language. We're made to relate with each other in that way. But the challenge is, When it comes to just this word speaking, many of us tend to be at opposite ends of the spectrum. It was probably in my first year of marriage that I realized how true this is. See, for a lot of you out there, you are at this end of the spectrum where when you are talking, when you're trying to make a point, when you're communicating, you are yelling. You may not know it, but you're often yelling. You're speaking over somebody. Then there's others of us who think we're more spiritual, who are on the other end of the pendulum, and we hold stuff in. And we, tr- we do. We try and spiritualize it. That's patience. That's gentleness. To not raise my voice, that makes me more spiritual than the pe- person that yells, right? You've done it. But the reality is, and I think what I found out in that first year of marriage and now 13 years of this ongoing journey is, both of those aren't that. You see, when you're yelling, when you're raising your voice, when you're speaking over, the person is not hearing. And when I'm sitting there, when I'm frustrated, when I'm dealing with some, what do I do with this, and I just hold it in, I'm not doing that as well, right? You see, speaking is simply this. It's listening and talking so that you can understand and be understood. Let me say that again because I think it's so important. Listening is speaking, or communicating, speaking is listening and talking to be understood and to understand. And probably what we need to understand is it's not about convincing, it's not about being right, it's about truly speaking to one another. So we jump to the next part of this speaking the truth. This is the what part of this sentence. What are you saying when you're speaking, when you're beginning to see the other person, when you're talking, when you're listening for the goal of understanding and and being understood, what are we saying? The challenge is we tend to overstate, triangulate, minimize, just plain lie. We blame, we cast off. Speaking the truth means that you're saying something about something to the person you need to say it to. You see, as Christians, we can get really good at spiritualizing how we do communication. 
Well, I need to go talk to those four people before I actually go say something to that person because I need some spiritual advice. And you want to know what? Most often, no. You need to say what you need to say to the person you need to say it to. That's speaking truth. Speaking the truth. It's not around. It's not alongside. It's not bringing up the past, but it's dealing with the issue with the person. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is a hard one, isn't it? This is a really hard one. It's easier to process with four other people and have them convince me that I'm right of that situation so that when I come to this person, I have my weapons loaded. I'm ready to go. They're going down. Amen? Speaking the truth is talking about the issue to the person you need to talk to it about. And the last part of this. So we're speaking the truth in love. Maybe the hardest part of this sentence, this is the, the, the simplicity of how you speak. What kind of language you are using. Paul dealt, dealt with it at the beginning of chapter 4, that as a body that they are to deal with each other, they are to relate with gentleness, that they have different type of redeemed relationships. So how do we say the truth in love? When Stacy and I were in premarital counseling, we went to my, when I was, I was in seminary, um, we went to my, my counseling professor. And he walked us through this in a little bit of a different way. But one of the most helpful parts that he walked through was, if you're going to speak the truth in love, you have to begin to think about the language you use when you're talking about the issue to the person. You see, we tend to go in with guns loaded, trying to be right. So our language becomes always, never, you did this, very accusatory. That's not speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is honoring the other about the issue you need to talk about with thoughtful relational language. It seems to me, I feel... That's a hard one, guys, isn't it? Here's, here's how I feel. When this happened, here's what I saw. I know this seems painfully practical, but this is so important. How you say what you say to the people around you will define what your relationships look like. And so importantly, as we begin to speak the truth in love, one of the most important things that we talk about again and again and again is it becomes about our witness. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, that they will know God by how we relate amongst each other. Your relationships are the greatest witness that the church has to the world around us. And just as importantly, if you're new to this whole faith journey thing, I, I hope this, this catches you. God is concerned about the most practical parts of your life. God is concerned about the most practical parts of your life. He's concerned about how you communicate. In your marriage, with your coworkers, on your sports team, with your teacher. 
and it reflects who Christ is to the people around you. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that for those in here, God, who are wondering about who you are, are you relevant, do you matter, can you forgive? God, I pray this passage and your word would perhaps remind or say for the first time that they are loved by you. You have come, you have died, you have risen again so that you can make them right. And God, I pray for the rest of us that we would continue to have this trusting relationship with you, this journey. Lord, I pray that that relationship would play out into the world around us, that it would change marriages, that it would change neighborhoods, that it would change schools and sports teams. By your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.